Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd, and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. everyone and welcome back to GodPod. Well I say back, back if you have listened to it before. Welcome for the very first time if this is your first ever GodPod and uh, if it is your first ever GodPod you've missed well quite a treat really over the last 150 or so episodes but uh, it is um, me Graham Tomlin. I'm usually the host of this theological podcast and we have our two other regular core members of the team today. So we have Jane, Jane Williams, and we have Michael Lloyd. Yes, hello. Good. Well, if you are a listener to GodPod over many years, these three voices will be very familiar to you. But uh, as always, at the moment, we're on Zoom. So uh, we are located in, well, I'm in London, Mike is in Oxford, and Jane is in Cambridge, having just moved house. Oh, no, you're not in, no, you're not in Cambridge, are you? are in Wales. You're in Wales, goodness me, yes, exactly. But if you could speak English, Jane, that would be helpful. We, I'll see what I can do. It is helpful to most of our listeners. <laughs> exactly, that's right, in the middle of moving house. Anyway, so it is uh, very good to be uh, sort of together, together on Zoom at least, as we launch into another GodPod. And um, today we're going to start off, I'm slightly embarrassed saying this actually, but um, no, you I, do should have, be. I do have a, a new book out, uh, which is a, a little book. Uh, published by I think SPC. Mike and I are embarrassed that we don't have a new book out, but um, you carry on, Graham. Well, I'm even more embarrassed because <laughs> I haven't read Graham's. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, Michael? You should get on with it sooner. Because I, I, I don't have a high view of penance. And probably because I, I haven't sent you a copy either. There's also that. I'll try and get one to you soon. <laughs> anyway, the book is called Why Being Yourself is a Bad Idea and Other Countercultural Notions. And... Um, well, it t- tackles a lot of different themes in it, but uh, focuses around this idea of the self and how we understand uh, ourselves. But we particularly thought we might, we'd tackle one particular issue which the, the book focuses upon, because it was written, I wrote it really uh, bearing in mind lots of people I, I knew who, uh, intelligent, thoughtful people uh, who have um, really idealistic views of the world, they would love to change the world, they're sort of socially active, they are... Uh, people who are um, particularly interested in money, they love experiences, they are thoughtful, but they don't think that Christian faith has anything particular to offer. So it's written primarily for people kind of outside the church. But one of the chapters focuses upon the, uh, the theme of prayer and um, how prayer works in the Christian life. And uh, so we thought we would have a discussion today on the relationship between prayer and theology. Because, um, Jane, you were explaining one or two thoughts you were having about uh, the relationship between prayer and theology. Do you want to um, take those on and just uh, explore those a little bit? Yes, I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it, in the history of Christianity, the point at which um, the idea arrives that it is possible 
to do theology um, without doing it in the presence of uh, the one who calls you to, to be a theologian, i.e. God. Uh, and, I mean, uh, early Christians would have simply said that to be a theologian is to pray and to pray is to be a theologian. Um, and then, uh, so it's really intriguing to see the point at which it, that begins to um, separate. So you can study theology as though it's a, um, a subject that isn't, uh, doesn't involve you in a relationship with God. And I think my particular interest in it comes um, from looking at the fact that so many women mystics in particular had to sort of pretend they weren't doing theology. Um, uh, although they were forming people's whole life of prayer, their whole relationship with God, and therefore actually um, profoundly affecting uh, our theological understanding, um, uh, they had to keep saying, no, no, I'm just a, a simple woman and all I'm talking about is, is experience and, and therefore you, you don't need to worry about me. I'm not, I'm not doing anything that, that's going to um, make anybody panic. Uh, and you can see it, I mean, you can see Teresa of Avila sort of almost specifically has to say that. But you can also see somebody like Julian of Norwich saying something very similar. Um, uh, sort of having to say, I'm, all I'm talking, I mean, I'm not, I'm not challenging, you know, theological ideas or anything. I'm simply talking about these experiences of God, these showings of God that that I had. Um, and and yet, actually, if you look at, sorry, I'm going to go on for half an hour for you to, to don't interrupt me. If you look at Julian of Norwich, she is actually profoundly challenging um, the idea of God's uh, judgment um, uh, of of God as uh, as primarily um, uh, vengeful. She's profoundly challenging that idea by saying that the, the essence of God is, is love. God's meaning towards us is love. So she's shaping theology hugely. Um, and, uh, and so how does it happen that those two drift apart, um, uh, theological statements and, and interaction with God in prayer? And what's the price you pay for that? And how might we uh, begin to bring them back together? Mm. Does that make sense? It does. It makes a lot of sense. And I think one of the historical moments that probably is part of that story is the, I guess, the first modern theology faculty uh, in the University of Berlin, which was at the beginning of the 19th century, which Schleiermacher, in fact, was involved in setting up. And uh, the idea was that, um, you know, theology, theology in a way took its place alongside all these other disciplines. And it was kind of his way of finding a place for theology in the kind of modern university. Um and so he found a place for it, but at the cost of, of, of it being, uh, if you like, another academic subject, he would study alongside languages or science or or um, any other academic discipline uh, at all. And I guess that was a moment where I guess the theological enterprise was separated out from the life of prayer, the life of the church, the life of worship, the life of devotion uh, as well. And it became possible to think of theology as just another academic subject like physics or chemistry or French or engineering. But again, that doesn't really make any sense, does it? Because you can't learn French without speaking French mm -hmm. or reading French. And so to think that you can learn theology without practising it, uh, again, you sort of think, well, where did, where did that possibility creep in? I was thinking you could study engineering without becoming an engineer. But um, not without knowing that that's the point of engineering. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose it introduces a gap between the two things, doesn't it? That you could study it as an interesting academic topic without necessarily going on to practice it in some way. 
Well, I was wondering if the religious wars of the 17th century, 16th, 17th century, are relevant here, that people got the sense that theology will divide you and divide you in, in lethal ways, um, and therefore found a, a, an aspect of the Christian life that, that was not that, that, that spirituality, prayer, and feeling that that was safe, that that you could engage in without dividing people, without dividing communities, without dividing local kingdoms, um, and whether that then fed into the kind of enlightenment, the great ugly ditch uh, that Lessing talks about between the public world and the private world. Uh, you keep theology into the, or spirituality into the private world, and then you're not going to fall out over it. Yeah, and I guess this, um, what I found myself getting interested in in writing the chapter on prayer in my book was the... Um, the relationship between prayer and mindfulness, uh, because obviously mindfulness is kind of everywhere these days. Everywhere you go, there's mindful practices. Companies are um, paying large sums of money to offer sort of mindfulness lessons or opportunities to their employees. Uh, it's generally seen to be a sort of good thing to do. And um, I suppose I was beginning to think about the relationship between mindfulness as a practice, which is largely in a secular sphere, and and the Christian uh, practice of prayer. And um, thinking that in a way, prayer can be understood as a kind of Christian mindfulness. Although it begins, I think, with uh, with God being mindful of us. There's that interesting bit in Psalm 8, isn't it? You know, who, who is man that you are mindful of him? Um, God is mindful of us before we are ever mindful of, of him. But then in that knowledge of God's mindfulness of us, that uh, kind of prayer is prayer could be described as becoming mindful of God, uh, becoming aware of the presence of God, the reality of God. Uh, but then the question is, well, who is this God that you are mindful of? Um, that brings the theological question into sharp focus pretty quickly, uh, more than it than perhaps maybe intercessory prayer does because intercessory prayer is you know you you, you lob these um these requests uh, you know to someone hopefully you, you you think god might be hearing you um but the sort of step of mindfulness stopping pausing becoming aware of the god i'm speaking to inevitably raises the question who is this god which then brings theology into into to, to, to focus. Is that the kind of approach you had in mind, Jane, when you were thinking about this? Yes, I suppose so. And um, I mean, I mean, the intercessory prayer one is is very interesting, isn't it? Um, because uh, it's a it's a strange thing to do um, to lob your request out into oh. uh, into the universe, uh, and it um, because again, it actually tells you quite a lot about what you think about God. Um, uh, what kinds of what kind of a God is this who is bothered to listen to to our prayers? What kind of a God? What how does our prayer interact with God's action? You know, so that it's a massively theological um, thing to do is uh, to to pray. Um, uh, uh, and and again, the sense that um, that medieval theology had and theology before that had that theology is only possible because of the kind of God that we're exploring, um, that uh, this is a God who wishes uh, to draw us into relationship, who enables uh, human beings to engage with God. 
um, uh, this is a, the kind of God who's um, uh, who who um, on the basis of our understanding of this God, we would expect the universe to be ex um, it possible for us to explore. We would expect it to be logical and beautiful and ordered and uh, rational as well as challenging. Um, so it is because we believe in God that it's possible to do any other subject. That's why theology was thought of as the queen of the sciences, because it's what enables us to believe that it's possible to explore the universe at all, because this is the kind of God we believe in. Um, and so theology and and um, uh, and prayer are, are just in, inseparable as far as medieval theologians are concerned. Yes, I was struck by when you read Anselm and um, the Proslogion, uh, one of the sort of central pieces which he, he writes, it just always strikes me as how, how significant it is that it is cast in the form of prayer. So, you know, chapter one is entitled Arousing of the Mind to the Contemplation of God. Um, you know, this is a very dense work of sort of philosophical theology, I guess we would call it today, but... You know, he starts off by addressing himself, you know, come now insignificant mortal, leave behind your concerns for a little while and retreat for a short time from your restless thoughts. And then he says, enter into the chamber of your mind, shut out everything but God and whatsoever helps you to seek him and seek him behind closed doors. Say to God, do I seek your face, your face, Lord, do I seek? And then he says, as he speaks to God, he says, come now, O Lord, my God, teach my heart where and how to seek you, where and how to find you, Lord. If you are not here, where shall I seek you, since you are absent? But if you are everywhere, why do I not see you, since you are present? So you can begin, he's, he's addressing his theology to God. And the idea that he could do theology without addressing to God and asking for for illumination. And I think that's the other aspect that comes through a lot of medieval theology, is that you can't really do theology unless God enlightens your heart then actually unless God's light shines upon you you're sort of scrabbling around in the dark trying to guess and speculate about the nature of God it's only divine illumination that allows you to enable to, to, to see this God uh, clearly and that's why they pray as they do theology and I think that's <clears throat> that's a, a really uh what's the word um it's really helpful uh, reminder of of the, the centrality of that, but but I, I want to pick up on the little phrase that Anselm uses there about shutting out everything except God, because I'm not sure that that doesn't smuggle in some ideas about God that are not true to God. Um, whether it doesn't, we actually come as as a net networks of relationships ourselves we have people on our hearts people on our minds and that's a good thing uh, and we bring them to god in our prayer that that's being real to who we are the things that matter to us the people that matter to us the pain that they're in the suffering that they're going through and and it also suggests to me that the sort of shutting out everything except god suggests that god is only interested in himself and me and I suspect his interests range wider than that. Um, and I wonder whether, I, I, it's very basic, it's very widespread view that you know you shut your eyes when you pray so that you shut out everything else. But maybe it's not God to the exclusion of everything else, maybe it's God in and an interest in everything else. 
or in relation to everything else. Yes, exactly. But that may be because you're so very holy, Mike, um, <laughs> that that uh, that you're able to instinctively see that interrelation. I think I think that's shutting out everything except God is is perhaps for those of us who are um, more uh, sort of self-obsessed and self-absorbed is, I mean, it, I'm always struck that um, the Lord's Prayer starts, hallowed, our Father, hallowed be thy name. Yes. So that, so that you send, unless you centre first on God, then everything else, prayer becomes sort of wish fulfilment. It becomes um, rabbiting on to God about what I want or can do. Yes, um, yes. Uh, uh, and so, I, 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 while I see what you're saying, I also wonder if there is, um, if if part of the, the learning, the discipline of of being a, a praying theologian or a theological prayer or whatever, is 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 always that first focus on God, which is so so deeply still um, inimical to us. We have got out of that habit of thinking that anything apart from us is the centre of the universe. Yes, and I suppose to be fair to. Anselm, the phrase he uses actually is shut out everything but God and whatever helps you to seek him. Okay. So I suppose in, in that, he's, I think he's making a distinction between the things that help us to seek God and the things that don't help us to seek God. In other words, the things that distract us from God. And so he's saying, so for example, you know, to take Augustine's line, you know, human, the human makeup of sort of mind and soul and body and, so, and, and you know, and will and intention and so on, can tell us something about the nature of God. He sees something of, you know, divine Trinitarian being within the sort of threefold nature of human beings and so on. So he would say that, you know, a contemplation of other people or oneself and one's heart might actually lead you to God. Um, so I suppose within that, it, there's a there's a, there's a a distinction um, between those things that can help us to see God. So there are things within creation that can help us seek him. At the same time, there are things that will take our attention away from him. And prayer does mean a sort of discipline of heart and mind uh, to make that distinction between the things that help us seek God and the things that don't. Is that fair enough, Mike? Or is that still, he's still troubled by it? Yeah, no, I think I think I think so. I think it is fair enough. And and I'm not criticizing Anselm whose prayers I think are fantastic. Um and, and much easier than his <laughs> philosophical or philosophical stuff. Um and I, but I think Often, in order to get to the place of engaging directly with God, you you need to address the things that are on your own heart. I remember, I can't remember who was, who's some archbishop, I think, who said, was asked how often he, how long he prayed for each day. And he said, oh, about a minute. And the journalist was unimpressed until, until the archbishop followed up with saying, um, of course, it takes me about an hour yeah. to get to that point. Yeah. I think it was Michael Ramsey, wasn't it? Um, right? Yes, it was. That one, yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. it Michael Ramsey? Yeah, and there's that, there's that sense that um, uh, I mean, Martin Luther, he always gets into God Pod. I think he has a, he has a <laughs> moment where he says, um, you know, when you pray, it's as if all these, it's like, it's like sort of birds trying to nest in your hair, you know. Um, they're all kind of you know, distracting, all these distracting thoughts come around. And, they, and actually what you have to do is you have to just let them fly. And just you know, just just sit there until they finally go away, and then you can concentrate. So sometimes you have to attend to them. You have to go to just let them to acknowledge them, um, and uh, and then sort of then sort of chase them away, um, because if you don't, they'll just sort of nest in your hair anyway. So you know, so you, you, I think it's an image to try and help us see how we deal with those distracting thoughts that come. 
but I suppose it, it, what it does say also is that prayer is there's a thinking that goes on in prayer. Yeah, it is a, a thinking and imagining a, an engagement with um, the God that we're dealing with. As, as Jane says, you know, the the Lord's Prayer begins with having a focus upon the God who we pray to, our Father, uh, and it's depicting God in terms of Father, and that there's a whole theology in that. Um, that then shapes the rest of the prayer because it's the prayer of a child to a, to a to a loving father, rather than to a grudging bank manager or an uncle or something. Yeah. Of course, the word "our" is significant too. We don't. It, it's not a solo enterprise. It's not. Hmm. It's not hmm. something that to which other people and the people who matter to us are irrelevant. Uh, nor indeed the other way around. What God has to say to us may be about our relationship, the relationships we're in, or... Uh, no. So it is, I think I want to hold on to that corporate sense, not a kind of deeply individual sense. Um, I agree that there are things that distract, but I think it's not the people we love, it's the panic we get into about them. Yeah, and to that, that extent, Anselm's thing about, you know, whatever helps you find God. Yeah. Actually, your friends yes. and your family and the people that are dear to you might well be part of those things that help you seek God. And and indeed, bringing them before God may help to let the panic flow away through the sieve and keep the people there with you before God. And uh, although I, um, I, I really resonate with that Michael Ramsey quote about it takes me an hour to pray for a minute, I also think that that's... Um, it makes prayer sound like something incredibly difficult. And so if, if theology suffers from um, being separated from prayer, I think um, a Christian discipleship suffers from being separated from prayer as well. Lots of people think they don't know how to pray because they've been made to feel it's something really difficult. And, um, uh, and uh, rather than that, um, what, what Mike was talking about, actually bringing the reality that we're, um, involved in um, consciously into the presence of God. Not that it, not that God wasn't part of it before, but that um, we consciously uh, acknowledge the presence of God in all that we're involved in. And, and it seems to me a, a great shame that people think it's hard to pray. I, I've just been. I'm actually preaching tomorrow about um, Jacob's ladder, and Jacob was a thoroughly unsavoury character. He's, he's a liar yeah. and a cheat and a self promoter. Um, and he has fled from uh, his brother who wants to kill him, not without some cause, it has to be said. Uh, he goes on to be an absolutely lousy father, um, and and his prayer at the after being shown the vision of, of the ladder is is a is a terrible prayer. It's all about <laughs> is him still scheming, still bargaining, still wheeling and dealing with God this time, and yet. And yet, is is something that transforms that place from into into the house of God because it's because God has met with him there, and and the place is shot through with with the presence of God. And 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 I think that that I agree with you, Jane. It's not a matter of being good at it. It's not about about it being a really difficult thing that we have to be good at doing. Um, even even lousy prayer. <laughs> does things, changes things, transforms things. Uh, and, and whatever we bring, however rubbish, 
matters and makes a difference. It's that sense that I guess St Paul has in Romans 8, doesn't he, about some ways the deepest prayers are the, the inarticulate groanings, groanings. They're not particularly articulate, finely crafted words. They're just almost the, 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 the cry of the heart that almost can't find words at all. Um, but it, it also interests me that I've, I want to say something, and Jane, you, you'd know about this, but it's something that's true for Augustine, isn't it, that this relationship between prayer and theology, I'm just conscious of the, you know, the way he begins the confessions, um, which again, he, in, in that, he, he wrestles right at the very first page in the relationship between theology and prayer, uh, where he says, you know, grant me to know, grant me, Lord, to know and understand which comes first, to call upon you or to praise you, and whether knowing you precedes calling upon you. But who calls upon you when he doesn't know you? For an ignorant person might call upon someone else instead of the right one, but surely you may be called upon in prayer that you may be known. So there's this sort of meditation in there on knowing God and praying to God. You kind of need to know God before you call to him, or can you call to him before you know him? And he's sort of wrestling with that, with that same dilemma that we're talking about. You know, do you need to know God before you call to him, or actually is, is the kind of very inarticulate crying out to a God that you, you vaguely dimly know? Is that still prayer? But he's what he does establish is there's a clear relationship between the two. Uh, doesn't have any idea that you can do theology without it. And, it, I mean, he, the whole book is in a way addressed yeah. to God, although clearly expecting to be read by others as well. But um, for Augustine, his, again, his those are not acceptable. publisher was hoping so, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I noticed, Graham, that you seem to be on the A's. Your desk is clearly... Anselm and Augustine. Got Anselm, yeah, Augustine. I know. We're not going to get any further than that, I don't think, probably. <laughs> it's going to take us a couple of centuries to get to Z John Zizoulos, isn't it? <laughs> That'll be Godpod number 3065. <laughs> um, but I, sorry, Jane, we interrupted you. I did. No, no, carry on. Uh, but I mean, I think if you, in an ordinary relationship with somebody you know and love, what you know about them and the process of engaging and relating to them is is you don't divide yeah. the two. You just want because you know you know them, like them, love them. You want to know more about them. Um, and that then informs how you address them, how you speak to them, shapes the questions you ask and the things you say and don't say. And, and, and we don't make that distinction in any other relationship, it seems to me. Only with God, for some reason, do we kind of hive the two off. Yeah, we lost that last little bit, Mike. Oh, you, I'm sorry. Uh, I said only with God do you actually hive these two things off into yeah, different sure. categories. They're, they're the same thing. If I can ask a question, then. I mean, as as theologians, how does prayer affect you and the way you do theology? How do you do it in practice? Does this relationship between theology and prayer, how does that work for you? Because I guess it's probably true for most of us who've been schooled in academic theology over the years. We've, we've kind of learned a way of doing theology, which does effectively separate it out from prayer. Uh, even though we actually think it can't be done, but how do you bring the two together in your in your own theological life and your prayer life? Really, that's a huge question. I mean, I think one of the um, uh, one of the, the reasons that they have become separated is that people feel you should be able to um, 
be a little bit objective as an academic. You should be able to say, well, that's a good argument and that's a bad argument. Um, and uh, and the thing is, I I don't see that. Um, especially, it seems to me that prayer helps you do that. Um, that you, when you're um, consciously in the presence of God, um, some of the ideas you have about God get exposed, don't they? When you suddenly think. Why am I saying this to God? Why am I pretending to God that I'm like this? Or why why am I pretending to God that that I don't care about this? Or um, it, it it prayer actually helps you to become more um, clear, I think, about your ideas about God. But also, um, theology is just very exciting. It makes you realise how exciting God actually is. Things I'm, I'm just writing a lecture at the moment about the doctrine of the Trinity. And um, every time I've got a little bit that I think is is quite good, then you get the next bit and think, well, I don't know how to put those two together, which doesn't make them incompatible. It just makes it huge and very, very exciting. So that sense that in engaging with theology, you're engaging with something, somebody bigger than my brain can cope with. It it just makes it endlessly, endlessly exciting. It does seem to me also that... that Bringing theology into prayer in some ways stops it just being a, a kind of mechanistic technique. Um, as what one of the, I think one of the critiques I have about sort of secular mindfulness, I think, is that it's, it's effectively, it's a kind of technique for, for stilling the mind and bringing a bit of peace and so on. And, and actually what, what Christian prayer, what's essentially different, I think, about Christian prayer to mindfulness or Christian mindfulness is it's, it makes it relational, not technical. So in other words, if Christian prayer is about, yes, being mindful of God, God being mindful of us, it's bringing that mindfulness into relationship with someone so that, you know, for example, you know, thanksgiving and, and, and gratitude. I mean, there's a, um, you know, a, lot, a big thing in, in mindfulness is this whole thing about, uh, you know, being, being sort of grateful um, for stuff that's going on around you. Um, but in a way, you know, I think there's, you know, there's a distinction between gratitude and thankfulness. And so people say we're grateful for something, but we're thankful to someone. And it seems to me in prayer, we are thankful to someone. There's someone to thank. It seems rather odd to get a, be grateful for a tree when there's no one really to give thanks to. What do you do? Do you give thanks to the tree or, or what do you do? Uh, whereas actually what Christian prayer does is it brings in that relational aspect and it stops being just a technique. It becomes a, a relational form of mindfulness, which is very different. And that's because what theology does is it helps to identify who is this God that we're speaking to. We're not just becoming mindful within ourselves in some little bubble, but we are being brought out of ourselves into relationship with a God who is outside us. Yes, I mean, I, th- I think that's right. And I think personally, how, how do I hold the two together? I think um, I find it easier to pray in response to scripture and the unpacking of scripture. And, and interestingly, the Church of England's uh, structures for, for morning prayer do that. They, they begin with one or two prayers to open up scripture, but then it's, it, it's the scripture readings and then the prayer happens at that point because it's a response to who God is. And that's what incites pra- uh, praise and, and, and worship and adoration. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, how, how do I bring the two together? When, when I'm wrestling over a particular knotty theological problem, 
I, I make myself a cup of tea and I go out around the nearest lake and I go around it as many times as it takes for the penny to drop or for some progress to be made and just, just pray through that problem. Uh, so it's, it's a kind of two-way thing, I think, in that way. And I suppose mindfulness is also primarily done for our own benefit, isn't it? And although, as a matter of fact, um, most of us benefit when we pray, that's not necessarily the end goal, is it? So that I will feel better. Um, uh, the assumption is that it, sometimes it makes you feel much worse because you do allow yourself to be opened up, your heart to be opened up to things that, you know, ideally you, you'd rather not know about. Um uh, and so they have a they although prayer and mindfulness have all kinds of techniques as you say in common i think the goal is significantly different yep that's why the uh, the, the chapter on on prayer in my book is called um why praying is dangerous um it's a dangerous thing to open yourself up uh to god and to the sufferings of others and to the needs of others and the reality of other people around us uh, so therefore, you know, do it with care. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing, but it's a, it, it's a disturbing thing at the same time. Don't expect to pray and stay the same. So that's been fascinating. When we started out, we uh, thought to ourselves, well, let's have a discussion on theology and prayer, see where it goes. Will we find enough to talk about? <laughs> well, it's never really been a problem for us, has it? Well, no, it has been a problem for us, but we, yeah. we just talk anyway. We just talk anyway. Uh, so anyway, I hope that's been a helpful discussion for um, for those of you listening to, to this. The, um, and it's something I'm sure you, if you do pray, uh, you will carry on um, wrestling over this relationship between theology and prayer, especially if you're a theologian as well. If you are listening to this and you've uh, and you, you you don't pray, prayer is not a regular habit in your life. There's there's only one way to start, which is to do it, is to find a quiet spot and to begin to to talk to God, and um, that may be something that you want to do. Uh, as a result of our conversation today. Anyway, it's been uh, very good, as always, to spend time with Jane and Michael, even if not in person. Very very good to see you, uh, Graham. And I hope the book launch goes well this yes, evening. Yes, you want to tell us again what the book is called? Thank you very much, yep. Funnily enough, Jane. It is called Why Being Yourself is a Bad Idea and Other Countercultural Notions, published by SPCK. So um, thank you very much for listening. Okay. Thank you to Michael and to Jane for um, joining together today. And uh, I'm sure we will uh, encounter you again at another Godpod at some point in the future. So goodbye from all of us. Bye. Bye. That was Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.